Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I want to give a, a welcome also to uh, our brothers and sisters online. They're probably in their campers. They're probably uh, in their bathing suits and chilling out, maybe watching the service on a tablet. Hey, you know, that's technology. You can do that. So I want to say hi to you guys. Uh, we wish you were here, and maybe we wish we were, were there with you. No, we're glad we're here, right? So, uh, hey, we're going through our, our, our Treasure Principle series. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you go through a series, you know, whether it falls on Mother's Day or falls on Memorial Day, you go, okay, how does this fit? And I have to say there are some times where things are providential that Memorial Day weekend falls on part four, like perfect. Okay, so we're going to get into that. You've already heard a lot about it, uh, you know, and, and what we're talking about in this series. If you want to go back and listen to part one, two, three, uh, you can go to our website, lighthousecoc.com, and you can watch it. You can download the podcast. There's some uh, discussion questions. There's also quiet times. And if I could get Mike to turn on the lights because I can't see your beautiful faces, uh, I, I would like to see you eye to eye, you know what I mean? And face to face. Uh, and, and so you can go there to the website and, and watch that and see that. Uh, and, and there's a lot of resources there. Also, our newsletter in color is there. And so in this whole series, we've, we've talked about the fact that everybody is on a treasure hunt. We're all searching for a treasure. And too many times we're looking in the wrong places for the wrong treasure. And God is trying to tell us through the first three weeks that we've looked at this is it's not a thing. It's not things. It's a relationship. And Jesus came to introduce not a religion, a new religion. He came to introduce a vastly different relationship. And that's what he's trying to invite us into. And that's what we as a church are trying to invite you to. If you're a guest here, we're really glad you're here. But what we're all about is inviting you into a relationship with God. And we want to help you. We want to connect you with a relationship with God. And so in talking about this series we're dealing with and talking about the unhealthy attachment to money and possessions. It's a problem today. It's a serious problem. And when you have an unhealthy relationship, it affects your heart. And here's how it affects your heart. Your heart becomes darkened. It's no longer about the people around you. It's all about you. And your heart becomes selfish. And I got to say this. I had a lot of things wrong in my life before I came to know God. But the biggest thing that was wrong in my life was I was incredibly selfish to a level of, you know, a personality disorder called narcissism. Anybody know what a narcissist is? Yeah, maybe you know a narcissist. They're not very fun. They're not very good at relationships. In fact, they have a, they have a track record of failing in relationships. And see, Jesus wants to help us. It's not all about us. There's something, there's someone greater who we can focus on. And so we're talking about that. And this was my greatest sin, or if you want to not, not categorize things in the category of sin, it was my greatest weakness, downfall, undoing, and it killed a lot of relationships, particularly with my family. And so today we're going to look at this whole idea as we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, but it's the whole weekend. How would you say as a country we celebrate Memorial Day? 
What are some things, and I'm going to open it up to you, okay, a little audience participation. What do you think are some things that you can remember about Memorial Day that you've done to celebrate you and your family Memorial Day weekend or Memorial Day? Okay? Barbecue. Barbecue. That's probably number one on the list. Ding, 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 ding. You get the prize. Okay? Anything else? I'm sorry? Baseball game, yep. Go to, the, go to the ballpark, hot dogs, and I'm sorry? Fireworks? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Parade? Go visit the cemetery. Now, now we're talking, okay? Now we're going old school. The, the true meaning of what it was, yes, Nancy? Specials at the mall. You know, Nancy, thank you for being honest, okay? Thank you for, for putting it out there. Okay, specials at the mall, the Memorial Day weekend. I'm sorry? Fly the flag. Okay, fly the flag. You know, why? when you think about the, 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 the men and women who established this day, instituted it into law, and said, we will celebrate as a nation this day as a memorial, as a remembrance and today we're going to talk about how there's a tie-over with what we should be doing tomorrow on Memorial Day and our faith as followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to consider the life of a follower and even the tie-over of what makes our country so great. Do you realize that there are very few countries in the history of mankind like this country? If you go back and think about what the privileges that we have, the freedoms that we have, the things that we have available to us, and how all of us have been elevated as a society to rights and privileges and things we get to do and have and have access to, like no other time in the history of humanity. And it's because of the tie over what we're going to talk about today in Memorial Day. Why do we celebrate Memorial Day? It's to remember. It's to remember the great givers of this nation. And that's kind of the subtitle of today's lesson. Great givers. Great givers. What was the price tag? What was the price tag to make this nation what it is? Think about that. You know, think about that. And that's what, that's what our, our, our leaders are asking us to do is to weigh in on, okay, stop with all your commotion, all your barbecues, all your shopping, all your stuff, all your things. Stop and think about what you have and the price that was paid. What should that, what should that prompt in us? when we think about that. And I want to show you guys a video that, that describes, it's a very patriotic video. And I got to confess, I, I love our country. I've, I've traveled the world. I've lived in other countries in the world. There's something special about this country. And it's something special because I, as, as, as I was born here and my family took refuge in this country from a communist regime where human rights were stripped of the whole nation. And we came here as a refuge, my family and I, and found freedom. 
in this country. So when I hear the Star Spangled Banner, when, when I hear, you know, and see this fireworks, let me tell you something. The 4th of July for me means something different than maybe everybody else. It means something special to my family because we found freedom in this country. We found, we found refuge from tyranny in this country. So as we watch this video, I really want to encourage you to think about the takeaway for you today as we celebrate Memorial Day. So let's dim the lights and watch this video. We look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. 
We are Americans. Pretty awesome. You know, when you, when you hear those words, they, they inspire you, right? But if you don't have perspective, you can't appreciate what, what he's talking about. I want to share with you that there are places in our world today where people don't have freedom to practice what we're doing here. In fact, there are churches in Africa, Christian churches, who run the risk each Sunday of being bombed by terrorists. People lose their lives by going to church and and worshiping and, and singing songs like we do, a thing we take for granted. Oh, yeah, I can go to church. There's people that wake up Sunday morning and say, will I go to church and will I live today? In Africa, in 2013, because of terrorism. Also, there are brothers and sisters of ours, of our fellowship of churches, in these past few months in Egypt who have been kidnapped because of their faith, trying to deter Christian faith, trying to deter the freedom to worship, to to read the Bible, to talk about Jesus, a, a, a person who's changed their lives. There was a minister in Egypt of one of our churches who was also kidnapped, and when he was released, he could not speak of what happened to him during that time of his kidnapping. People tried to draw him out and help him. He couldn't speak of it. So when we see these videos, when we understand these things, when we celebrate, when you look around, you can walk out of here, go have lunch, go have a barbecue, realize what you have. These aren't nice, just warm-feeling images that we're seeing. This is reality. We get something special in this country. And, you know, I want to go back over the words that Martin... Treptow wrote in his diary. And he said, this is my pledge. America must win this war. Therefore, I, I will work. I will save. I will sacrifice. I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost. And this is the, this is the phrase of all phrases. As if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. I mean, these words rang throughout the ranks of his fellow soldiers and were inspired. And this is, this is the, the, the passion, the pledge of a nation. As we're here today, we think about these words that Jesus shared through the apostle Paul And he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He says, in everything I did, Paul talking about his own life. In everything I did, I showed that you must, that you by this kind of hard work must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, clearly Martin Tratow, in his words, spoke these words, it is better to give, to sacrifice, than it is to receive. Jesus didn't just speak these words. He lived these words. He modeled these words. And not only that, his followers modeled these words. Now, as we talk about the treasure principle, 
I want us to talk today about being great givers. Because our country is founded on great givers. So many you can't even count. You know, going to, to Arlington Cemetery is overwhelming. As you look at all the tombstones, I mean, miles, it seems, of tombstones, all of them, soldiers who died for what we have. And tomorrow they're going to plant flags on each one of those tombstones, every single one, to remember them. So before we get on with our lesson, I want to encourage you tomorrow to take time out of your day to give thanks, to stop all the commotion and say, wait a minute, let me, let me think about what we have here as a nation. But today is Memorial Day. Every Sunday is Memorial Day that we remember our fallen hero the greatest giver of all time. And that's Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just teach us. He modeled it for us. But he shared with us there's great joy. But I want to ask you a question. Is that the spirit of our nation today? It is more blessed to give than to receive. As you look out over our vast country, our vast nation, when you, when you walk through the shopping malls, the restaurants, when you look at, you know, the next generation of, of young people and you say, is it really the, the culture, the heart of it is better to give than to receive? Is that what we see? Let's be honest. And one step further, is that the spirit of our church? It is better to give than receive that I believe that, I, I model that, I live that. Really? Is that where we stand when, when things that we do and actions that we demonstrate really don't model that? Really what overflows from our hearts that it's more about me than it is about everybody else. And there's things that speak loud in our community. I want to introduce you to a word. Maybe some of you you know, in the obscure television area of public television. You ever heard of this television program? It's called Affluenza. Probably haven't heard of it because it was so, it was like a bleep on public te television. It was a low-budget documentary that they did. And it was based on a book that was published called Affluenza. Not influenza, affluenza. But it is a diagnosed sickness that they defined in the, the program. You can YouTube it. You can watch the whole program if you want to see it. It's probably a good thing for all of us to watch. But they diagnosed this. Affluenza is this, a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, of debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dog pursuit of more. They have doctors, they have psychiatrists speak on this documentary. You know, it really didn't get pushed because it would probably hurt our economy if we bought into it, if we understood the seriousness of this. But it describes, they interview people and it describes their, their feeling of emptiness. They keep on buying, they keep on purchasing, they show their homes, they show what they have, they show what they bought. They sit, they, all the stuff that you and I wish we can have, there's people that have this, that buy this, and they're empty. And they, 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 they share that it's not, it's no more, it's no longer gratifying. 
And so clearly they say, you have affluenza. Some of the statistics that they share in this is staggering. The average American shops six hours a week. The average American shops six hours a week, but only spends 40 minutes a week with his children. Average American. By age 20, the average American by age 20 has seen over a million commercials. Like what's influencing us at 20? Hey, how about at 40? How many commercials have you seen in your lifetime? Recently, more Americans declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. Stop and think about that. And then they did another, they had another study. And these are, this is data. You don't argue with data. Well, I don't know if I believe it. This is data. This is hard data that they, they got looking at our country. 90% of all divorces in our country, money played a prominent role in ending the relationship. So clearly in our nation, we have a problem. We have a sickness, and some have diagnosed it as affluenza. Like no other time in the history of mankind have we as a nation, as we as a world, ever been this affluent. I mean, think about that. Cars, phones, the push of a button, we have so much food in abundance, so much abundance. And in this program, they show trucks lined up at the landfill, dumping yesterday's treasures into a hole because there's something new that they want to sell you to replace the old. And then it doesn't stop there. Time Magazine, just last week, describes the millennial generation. I don't know if some of you got to to, to see this. Guys, pay attention, you teens, because this is you. This is you. All right? This is your generation. Mine was Generation X. And then some of us here are baby boomers, right? This was the description of, they call it the me, 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 me generation. Three me's. It says here, millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. Now, this is, this is serious because I, I want you guys to understand, they've studied, this is hard data, okay? Hard data, hard, hard data and lie. Unlike any other population generation preceding it, has the highest number of personality disorders of any generation of narcissists. You know what a narcissist is? We already went through that, right? It's a complex of me, and and what they describe in this is that that the millennials text message, on average, 88 times in a day. They Instagram, they, they, they interact with each other. And what's happened is these young people have created their own reality show about them. It's funny, okay, but it's not. 
See, because what they're trying to do is promote themselves. Look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Every, every moment there has to be a post about where you are, what you're doing, what you're up to, and a comment to go with it. Now, I don't want to bash you guys because they had a similar article about my generation 30 years ago. How did they get to this place? Mom, Dad, it's our responsibility. See, what they describe in this article is that, that parents have coddled these children. They have, they have lifted them up. They have built their self-esteem so high that they think they are the most important people in the planet. Every one of them get a trophy. Every one of them. You play a sport, you get a trophy. You don't have to do anything. Just show up. Hey, here you go. And not just one year, all the way through your, 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 your childhood life, you get a trophy. What are we saying? You're someone special. Recently, a, a, a teacher at a high school up in Boston gave a, a commencement speech at the graduation. He said, you're not something special. He, he wanted to break it to him. And some of you are saying, yeah, good. Listen, I, and I, I want you guys to understand, the millennials, I'm not judging you. I just want to help you understand we have a problem. We, you and me, have a problem. Because we have so elevated. There's so many staggering statistics in this article that I read. They expect, they get into a job, they expect a promotion in six months, not having done anything. They're like, okay, so where's my promotion? I'm supposed to get it. They have, a, they have a, a, a sense of entitlement. Now, here's some of the positive things. They have detached themselves in some ways from the status quo. They want to attach themselves to a cause. They want to make a difference in the world. Now, whether they're doing that and they have a plan to do that is, is in question, but they want to. And you and I in our faith have to ask the question, are we modeling for them? Because every generation reacts to the previous one. When they see us running around after our treasures, they can react to that and say, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. And so all of us have to take responsibility for where we're at and what's happening. But our generation... The last few, including this one, would not describe us as a great giver generation. When you describe it as the me, me, me generation, it's not about you, 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 and what can I do to help you. So there's a need. And so today we want to talk about that because I believe it can make all the difference. Here's what Paul told Timothy about telling the followers of Jesus to do to help them with their affluenza condition. This is the solution to affluenza. Command those who are rich. Who's rich in this room? Let me break it down for you. You are rich. All of us are rich. You live in this country. Even if you're, even if you're in what we would call poverty, you're rich in a world comparison. You're rich. You drive in a car, you're rich. You have your own you know, shelter where you live, your own bed, you're rich. You're rich. You may not think you're rich because you're not Kevin Durant. But you're rich. 
from a world comparison. So command those who are rich in this, in this present world not to be arrogant. Don't be entitled. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be what? Say the word with me. Generous. To be givers. Talk to them about being givers and willing to share. Give, give. The Bible's telling us that the solution to affluenza is giving. Be givers. And that's what I'm going to leave you with today. If you want to know what your, your, your to-do is, your takeaway today is, I want to encourage you to leave here today and decide to be a giver. And watch what happens. Watch what happens in your relationships. Watch what happens even in your own heart as you give. Because there's so much more fulfillment in giving than in taking. And that's why Jesus wants to encourage us. In this way, they will lay up what? Treasures for themselves. Treasures where? In heaven. As a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they will take hold of the life that is what? Truly life. Now, let me tell you this. I don't know if you believe in heaven. Maybe you don't. But let's go back to the Memorial Day celebration. Martin Tratow believed in a future of our nation. He believed in what we have today. He said, you know, I want to I give my life so that others can have it better. See, let's take God out of the picture. When you're a true giver, you understand that your life can be, can be a help, can be something significant to better the lives of others. It's worth dying for. But when you embrace heaven and you believe in heaven, then you understand, wow, this is significant. I not only get to help the, the, the world here, but I also get to send it on ahead and have true life, true meaning to life. So this is a, the treasure key principle number five. This is the thing you want to write down. What's the antidote to affluenza? What's the antidote to materialism? It's right here. Giving is the antidote to materialism. Giving is the antidote to materialism. If you want to fight against the me, 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 me generation, what should you do? If you don't want to become like everybody else and have that, that, that darkness of unsatisfied emptiness in your heart, what should you do to fight it? Give. Give is the solution. Find ways to give. And if we could send out a message to our whole nation this week, we would need to say how blessed we are for those that gave and what would they ask of me as a recipient of their gift, of what they gave interview one of those dead soldiers and ask, what do you, what did you want? What do you want from me as a recipient of your death? And see, Jesus tells us exactly what he wants us to do as recipients of his sacrifice. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. And he tells us, I want you to be givers. I want you to pass it on. Here's what giving does. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God and not about me or us. I mean, it's a healthy way of looking at your life. When you give, you understand it's not all about me. 
It says, this is what giving says, I'm not the point. He is. He doesn't exist for me. I exist for him. Who do you exist for? Some mothers would say, I exist for my children. That's noble, but they're an extension of you. How much higher can you take this? Do you have a perspective that there's beyond you, there's more out there than just you? There's a world, there's others, there's, there's God. And so giving is healthy. And money isn't the only thing we can give, although it's important. Because everything we have here today, everything we're doing as a church relies on what we give. You've heard that already. But you can also give of your time. I want to mention a great giver here today. You know, he didn't like it. He's going to be mad that I do this. But I'm going to say, Will Neal and Leanne Neal are great givers in my book. You know? Now, they give and give and give, but because of their giving, they've been able to change people's lives. You know, I don't know if he's here, but Trevor is someone that they've met and connected at, you know, the, the Leroy Haynes Center for Boys. Trevor's life has been changed because of Will and Leanne's involvement with this Boys Center for Home, the, the, the Leroy Haynes Center for Boys. For us to think about that. If you're a giver, you change somebody else's life. It wasn't a matter of writing a check. It was a matter of time. It was a matter of looking somebody in the eye and going there and talking and and being a part. Having these kids over for dinner, having them over for Thanksgiving. I can remember sitting next to, you know, Trevor and his brother and, and, and other people at Thanksgiving. Like, man, this is awesome that Will and Leanne, imagine if all of us did this. And I know some of us give at some level, but what if we were to become great givers, all of us? What a difference that would make in the lives of the people around us. And what's their expectation of those who they give to? Turn around and give. You know what else you can give time? You can give wisdom. Because you have something special to offer, your experience, what you've been through, your life, what you've, what you, the pain, the things that you've experienced and how you've managed them through God, with God, And what he's taught you, those life lessons, if you share that wisdom with somebody else, it's a gift. You know, when I sit down with somebody older than me and they share with me their experience, or sometimes even my peers, I I write it down. I say, man, that's really good. I want to learn to do that. Another thing is love and experience that, that, that you have, love is a huge gift. You can't put a price tag on love. You can do that with your friends. You can do that with relatives. You can do that anywhere. You can do that here today. When's the last time you walked up to a complete, you know, stranger and said, hey, I care about you? Now, I'd be weird to say I love you. I mean, they come, okay. You know, you might, might offend somebody, but I'm saying to express that love, maybe not say that. To express, hey, I care about you. Giving, giving breaks any form of selfishness in our hearts. When you're sick, what do you take? When you're selfish, what do you do? Do you? 
Now you know what the fix is. Now you know what the immunization is. What if we decided each day, today I'm going to be a great giver? No problem with selfishness. You know how many fights we'd get we wouldn't, we wouldn't have? How many marriage bumps we wouldn't have? If we would decide every day, today I'm going to be a great giver. Now, I went to teens. Guys, wait, hey, listen. One, one less text here, just for a second. One less text. Okay, instead of 88, 87. All right, listen. Imagine what your relationship with your parents would be if you decided when you woke up in the morning, I'm going to be a great giver. You think there would be the rub that there is? Parents, if you decided you're going to be a great giver and a great giver doesn't want something back, doesn't expect a thank you, doesn't expect something in return, he just gives. How many less conflicts would we have? Giving breaks the selfishness in our heart. So let's talk about where do we start. When we talk about giving, where do we start? What's, what's step one? And here's how God spells it out for us. Giving to God first. Giving to God. Let's see where it began. In Leviticus chapter 27, in verse 30, a tithe. Here's a word that's in the Bible a lot, especially in the Old Testament. Maybe not as much as the New Testament. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or from the, from the fruit, from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, this applies to people who are followers of Jesus or followers of God. Okay, this is what God asks of his people. I want a tenth. Here's a tenth. A tenth is a tenth. If you got ten bushels of wheat, giving a tenth means taking one of those bushels and saying, I give this to the Lord. It's 10% giving back to God. Now, you and I don't have bushels and things that we, you know, that was a form of currency in the, in the old times. What do we have today? Money. You get a check. Do you give back to God one-tenth to him? What do I do with that one-tenth? How do I give it? And sometimes we like to mix it up. Well, I'm going to give it to this organization, this organization. No, to God and what he's up to. Now, if you want to give to the, the people in Oklahoma, that's for the needy. That's different. That's not a tithe. That would fit under a different category. Even the special missions contribution that we're going to be taking up June 9th, that comes under a special category of a free will offering. I want to give this for Central America. That 10%, as they looked at it, was holy to the Lord, set apart, not yours to keep. You understood that. This is what God needs to do what he needs to do, and I give it to him. And he doesn't necessarily need it. He's just saying, I, I want you to realize I want to do something with this money for something spiritual, something good, something that's going to make a difference. And look what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Can you really steal from God? I mean, has he got his wallet hanging out? Yet you rob me. This is God's complaint through the prophet Malachi, he says, yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, meaning you don't give it. You hold it back. Why do you hold it back? Because you're not a great giver. And you say, well, I don't have enough to give. Really? In this country, in this time, in our history, where we have so, we have so much, you don't have a tenth to give to God. This is significant. And I think we have to be honest with our hearts. 
You know, and this, this, is, this is what God was saying to his people. Let's look at this in the New Testament. Does God expect his new covenant? Now, that was the old covenant that we looked at, the new covenant. Does he expect in the new covenant his children to give less or more? I ask you. Why more? Because Jesus gave more. The covenant is much greater. The promise is much greater. Forgiveness of all your sins now and the ones you're going to commit tomorrow. The greatest promise that's ever been. You get to go to heaven. Jesus is going to cancel all of your sins, all of your mistakes. He's going to take you over. So the covenant is much greater. What should the tithe be? It should be even greater. I'll give you a great example. Did Jesus raise the spiritual bar or lower it? Some would say he lowered it because we're forgiven, right? I can do whatever I want. Jesus will forgive. I can come every Sunday with my sin bucket full, empty it, and start all over again Monday. That's a false doctrine. That's not what Jesus is saying. And Jesus raised the bar. Here's a great example. Adultery. You don't commit adultery in the old covenant. Jesus said this, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So is it higher or lower? Wow. I can tell you for the men here, we're fried. We're fried. Unless, unless we're courageous enough to look at our hearts and go, you know what, I'm going to take this. Because I'm going to deal with my eyes, and I'm going to offer up my eyes to God, and I'm going to offer up my heart and say, God, these are your eyes, not my eyes. I took this challenge as a young college student. It changed my image of women. I didn't look at them as objects anymore. I started to treat them as people, which God wants. There's a blessing behind every challenge that God gives us. But clearly this is a notch up. So here's the question that, that we have to ask ourselves. A tithe. What is a tithe? A tithe is this. They're training wheels. They're to get you started. Start with a tithe. Now, is a tithe the ceiling or the floor? Say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. It's the floor, meaning you start with a tithe. And what's the ceiling? What's the ceiling? Anybody know what the ceiling is? Sky is the ceiling. How high is the sky? It doesn't have a limit. What could be the limit? You know, and, and, and here's God's promise. He says this, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Go ahead. Test me. You give to me. You try to beat me at giving. I tried it. I've never won. Everybody I know that's out tried to beat God has never won. Never. And to think about that, is giving easy in our culture? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let me give you an example. A two-year-old. You can go down there today to the children's ministry. Try this. You see a two-year-old playing with their toy, right? Take it from them. Take it. Take it. How's it going to go? Some of you have two-year-olds. How's it go? They get in a little group, and they're together with their two-year-old friends, and one has a toy. The other one comes up, says, I want that toy, and takes it. And what do we have? we got a problem. 
We've got a serious problem. Let me just say this. From very young age, it's inherent in our nature to be selfish. My toy. My stuff. It's all about who from a very young age. So giving is not easy. It's something we have to practice. It's something you have to train yourself in. So start with 10. Start with 10% and work your way up. I want to share with you about a minister in our, our, in our area of Southern California. Amazing story. A few years back, we used to read his books called A Purpose Driven Life. Remember that? And we all read it. Amazing book. He sold so many books. Rick Warren sold so many books in the world, translated in all kinds of languages. This guy made so much money off of those books. He didn't know what to do with all that money. He decided that he was going to take all that money that he made of the books, pay back all of his salary for the last 25 years that the church had given him. And he was going to start reverse tithing. You know what reverse tithing is? I'm going to keep 10% and give 90%. What an incredible example. Now, he had the money. You could say, well, he had the money. It's kind of like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, you know, in Oklahoma this past week, he gave a million dollars. Well, yeah, if I had all that money, I'd give a million. Really? <laughs> Let me tell you as a nation, if you had all that money, which our nation does, when you have more, you give less. Statistically hard data proven. If you have more, you give less. If you had all that money, I assure you, if you're following the nation, you'll give less. So what Rick Warren did was rare. And you know when Kevin Durant gave a million dollars to Oklahoma, the Oklahoma victims of the tornado? He put the challenge out there. and He says, I challenge Nike to give a million dollars. I challenge the NBA to give a million dollars. See, he didn't just give it and say, I, I give it. No, he says, I give it, but I want the rest of you to give. So I want to follow Kevin Durant today. I want to give. And many of you are givers in this church. You give a lot. You give every week. But we need to talk with each other, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, but say, hey, are we givers? Let's be givers. There's so much more joy and fulfillment, but it takes, it takes practice. It takes work. You're not going to just work, become a good giver. And it's kind of like a baby taking his first few steps. Okay? It starts with a tenth, and you work your way up. Paul said this way, but since you have excelled in everything in faith, some of you have grown so much in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, we see that you've also excelled in this grace of giving. So I want to I encourage you to excel in this area of giving what's yours. And it's not just about money. It's about time. It's about heart. And so as we transition, I want you to think about the communion today. What are we celebrating in the communion? death and sacrifice of Jesus. It's put this way in John 3.16, most famous passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he did what? 
He gave. It started with God. I love you, and here's how I show you I love you. I gave. You want to show you love God? Then show him you love him by what? Giving. You want to show our nation that you're grateful for what the sacrifices that have been made in Memorial Day and Memorial Day weekend? You want to be a great patriot? What should you do? You should give. God models it. Jesus modeled it. Give. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. He gave. And then as we transition into the communion, I want you to imagine this setting, Jesus with his 12 disciples. And they sat there and he picked up the bread. And I'm going to ask the, the ushers, the guest services people to come and bring the plates Jesus did this. He took the bread and he gave it. And he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying this. This is my body. Given for who? For you. Do you realize that what we do every Sunday, we we celebrate Memorial? Memorial Day? Jesus wants us to remember to remember what he did. And when you take the bread, you look at the bread and you say, this is Jesus' body. This is what he gave. Now, what will I do with what he gave? His hope is that you will become a giver as well. What would our nation be like if we were all givers and didn't have affluenza? He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, he said, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I pour out my blood for you so that you can be forgiven. So as we take the communion now, I want to remind you What's at the core of the communion? Jesus gave. Jesus gives. And he wants you to remember. What should you do with your treasure? Give. What should you do with your life? What should you do with your time? Give. And I want to encourage you, in response to the communion, as we take the bread and the the fruit of the vine, I want to encourage you, Respond by deciding, I want to be a giver, a great giver, just like my Father, my Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege that you've given us to give back. I pray that today you'll help us, God, to leave here decided that we're going to be givers, great givers. I pray for our friends here visiting, God, that they can, they can be honest about what they feel in their hearts about taking all the time and, and the affluenza that they may be feeling in their hearts. I pray, God, that they will respond to Jesus' invitation to be givers. Right now, God, we remember what Jesus poured out for us his blood, his body that was broken, beaten, humiliated for our salvation so that we could be forgiven. Father, we lift him up at this time and we remember what he did for us. Bless this communion and help us to follow in his steps. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.